2: It is June, and I want to give a shout out to all the wonderful people who go to patreon.com and support Set Lusty Bruce. Let's give a wonderful thank you to Jeff Ulmer, Sylvian L., Liz Brunson, Fernando Santamaria Lozano, Steve Vansack, Rob Barnett, Randy Brown, Crystal Carroll. Bella Pori, John Munson, Betsy Hodges, Levi Petrie, Stephen Malio, Captain America, Dale Hosack, Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, and Mary Thomas. Thank you so much for being here and providing support. Because of these wonderful people, Set Lusting Bruce continues to happen. For now, on to the podcast.
0: Fast forward a few years and... Exile on Main Street came out. And I just loved that album. Oh, my gosh. I bought it on cassette. Shows you again my age. And I think I listened to it so much that the tape ended up just wearing out. But but I that was, what, 72, I think, when that album came out.
2: You sure um, it wasn't an 8-track?
0: No, it was not an 8-track. It was definitely okay.
2: cassette.
0: Yeah. Okay. I had this little tiny rectangle tape player. And it, but I, what I was really into at that point was the Faces, Rod Stewart and the Faces.
1: Oh,
2: wow.
0: They were my band. Just just loved them. And a, again, fast forwarding a couple of years, the Stones released "Love You Live," mm-hmm. and side four of that two album set just blew me away. Right. It was jumping jack flash, satisfaction, sympathy for the devil. And oh my God, I was hooked. Just absolutely hooked. And from that point on, I every penny I got mowing grass, I was down at the record store buying Stones albums and ended up owning all of them, plus several dozen bootleg albums. Just fell in love.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train today, though I'm sure he will come up as he normally does. And we are talking, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. Jeff Ton is a fellow podcaster. And he was, I've reached out to him. We are both part of a group where we exchange and offer different guests. And Jeff said, I can talk Bruce a little bit, but I can talk your ear off about the stones. (laughs) And I said, sold. So Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little about yourself.
0: It is great to be here, Jesse. Thank you so much the opportunity, I spent my career about 40 plus years in information technology, so it is fantastic to be able to talk about music for a little bit. So I, as I said, in information technology, in fact, my podcast, Status Go, is about leadership in the technology space, but uh, here in central Indiana, in Indianapolis, I've been here for most of my life. I've got a a wife and two, uh, I call them my bouncing baby boys because they're 44 and 39, and they have uh, children of their own. So I'm a a grandparent of six, soon to be seven bouncing uh, boys and girls.
2: That is awesome. So thank you for mentioning that, Jeff, about a change of pace most people that I reach out to feel the way you do. They will say, <laughs> oh, really? I don't have to talk IT. I don't have to talk. I don't have to talk relationships. I I don't have to talk sports. I can talk music and they're good. A small percentage just says, I think I'd be a bad fit for your podcast. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But (laughs) most people are like you. They're like, oh man, this is a little change of pace. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is to give people that don't get a chance to talk about whether it's Bruce, whether it's the Stones, whether it's Leonard Cohen, (laughs) whether it's Merle Haggard, just the chance to share and talk music. So that's great. We will touch on your podcast in a little bit. I always like to start at the beginning. Talk about, by the way, anytime someone says Indiana, I think of the line from John Hyatt leaving out of Indiana in the back of a pickup truck. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm always tempted. Did you leave Indiana in the back of a pickup truck? Uh, Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's a
0: lot of reference. You could go with Tom Petty talking about Market Square, which is Market Square Arena. Yeah, uh, in the, in the, it's no longer here, but it's yeah. been torn down. But yeah, there's lots of references to it.
2: Absolutely. Talk to me about growing up. Where did you grow up? What kind of music did your family listen to when you were younger? And wow. you and I, we've established we're about the same age.
1: Yeah. We yeah, one year yeah. of
2: each other. So you probably graduated high school in 76. I graduated in 77. Yeah, you mix, got it. The height of AM radio.
0: Right. That's right. I grew up uh, um, in a couple of little cities uh, here in Indiana. Lebanon was was where I probably first started thinking about music and that. So Lebanon's a little town, about 10,000 people north of Indianapolis. And I'm the son of an American Baptist minister. So my dad was a preacher. So the first music that I was really ever introduced to was church music, hymns. And there was always music going on in our house. But I was child number three out of four. So as my brother and sister got older, grew older, became teenagers, they started listening to some of that rock and roll music. And that's really probably what got me started. And I started the monkeys were on television and the monkeys were were pretty cool to to watch and listen to and i think they were my first record and then the beatles and it was just that time that rock was everywhere and we moved to evansville indiana in about 1970 and i fell in with a couple of guys that just loved music they became my buddies and we just started listening to records all the time and i fell in love with it i started playing guitar and man i wanted to grow up and be a rock star instead i grew up to be a chief information officer for a couple of different companies didn't quite make the rock star status but music was everywhere growing up did
2: you Did you go through a stage where you rebelled against what kind of music your parents listened to, or did you just enhance your specter, your kind of, your long, your uh, attention span, what you were listening to?
0: No, I would say it was a rebellious time. You grew up in about the same time, Jesse, and it was a rebellious time against our parents, what they were listening to. And I just don't remember them listening to much of anything other than uh, church music, organ type music. And it was really my brother and sister that started listening to all the hits of the day back in the mid 60s and into the 70s. Uh, that really sparked that love of, of I would call it popular music do I enjoy the occasional hymn from time to time yeah there's nothing like uh, Christmas or Easter hymns at the church for that but it's uh, it's been rock and roll for me since uh, gosh the late sixties
2: i I may have missed that. What denomination were you, were your, was American your Baptist Baptist. Okay. So right.
0: so music was, wasn't like really fundamental. It wasn't that you couldn't listen to, to rock music. Uh, it, it was more open than that. And it was welcomed in the house. The, my siblings and I played music all the time on our record player.
2: So I grew up in a Southern Baptist home. In okay. Louisiana, in fact, when a few—gosh, more than a few years ago—but when Alan Jackson did two out two CDs of secular mute of Christian music, mm-hmm. he talked about he got the old Baptist hymnal and just picked up songs, and I knew almost every song of that. I grew up with that music. <laughs> Same thing. My parents were country and western just country music only. And so later when I just, of course my mom did love fifties rock and roll and flats, fats domino and this kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. When did you discover the stones and what about them spoke to you?
0: Wow. So I would say I discovered them probably three times. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, I mentioned when I moved to Evansville that I fell in with a group of of other kids that just listened to love music and a good, a good buddy of mine at the time, Charlie Hagan, man, we were going to be rock stars together. He was the drummer. I was the guitar player. And he had this record album by this band called the Rolling Stones. And it was through the past darkly. And if you know that album, it's the one that's cut in an octagon, octagonal shape and they're looking through a broken piece of glass and he was telling me about Brian Jones, he's dead and all this kind of stuff and we listened to it and it was like, oh, okay, that it's okay. And then fast forward a few years and Exile on Main Street came out and I just loved that album. Oh, my gosh. I bought it on cassette. Shows you again my age. And I think I listened to it so much that the tape ended up just wearing out. But but I that was, what, 72, I think, when that album came out.
2: You sure I, it wasn't an 8-track?
0: No, it was not an 8-track. It was definitely okay.
2: cassette.
0: Yeah. Okay. I had this little tiny rectangle tape player. And it, but I what I was really into at that point was the faces, Rod Stewart and the faces. Oh, wow. they, were, they were my band, just, just loved them. And a, again, fast forwarding a couple of years, the stones released Love You Live,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and side four of that two album set just blew me away. Right. It was jumping jack flash, satisfaction, sympathy for the devil. And oh my God, I was hooked. Just absolutely hooked. And from that point on, I every penny I got mowing grass, I was down at the record store buying Stones albums and ended up owning all of them, plus several dozen bootleg albums. Just fell in
2: love. Is it just the energy? Was it the rock and roll, the energy? It was, of it was the energy. It was
0: the, it, it was the energy. It was the roots in blues. Um, I Listening to the Stones introduced me to like Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and uh, ended up with Buddy Guy, a more contemporary blues player, and just fell in love with the blues as well. And that it's that bluesy rock and roll that really struck struck me and the energy of oh my gosh seeing them live I saw him live I think it was 75 that was the first time I saw him live in Bloomington Indiana and just incredible energy on the stage and um, over time you had you end up with different favorite songs and all that and I I tell you, my favorite still to this day from them is Sympathy for the Devil. I've become a history geek later in life. And when you listen to the lyrics of that song, it's really a walk through the history of mankind Mm -hmm. uh, and interlace where evil fits in. And uh, just something about that song just is magnetizing. But I also love...
1: Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win.
2: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
1: And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month, so just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
2: I always like to preface this, that the amount of times you've seen your favorite artist is not necessarily a barometer of how big of a fan you are, Mm -hmm. depending on your age, your economic situation, where you're located. If you grew up in the seventies, living in the New York, in the East coast, good chance you saw Bruce a lot. Yep. Yep. You uh, you, growing up in Southwest Louisiana, like the way I did, you did not see uh, Bruce a lot. (laughs) So if you talked about your first show, and we're going to go back to that in a little bit more, but yep. do you count how many times? And if so, how many?
0: I've never really counted though. I believe it's, it's in the range of about 15 times. Okay. Somewhere in there. Some tours I've seen more than once steel wheels. I saw them a couple, three times. And uh, I've caught them on their last couple of tours here in here in the states and uh, so try to see them every time I every, every chance that we can right? and uh, try to pick an interesting city to go see them seen them in Chicago S- haven't seen them in New York. I saw uh, Clapton in New York, but uh, just love going to the
2: shows Did talk about that so you were already a fan when you went to that first show correct
0: i went to that show that was actually before that album came out i I wouldn't call myself a fan okay it was the rolling stones right Right. and it was i forget bloomington was uh, what maybe two hours from where i was living in evansville at the time and uh, it was just one of the things to go do and it was one of the pieces that just attracted me to them. And then that love you live album, I believe was recorded during that tour. If I remember correctly,
2: what was the first show you went to where they had become your band?
0: Gosh, I saw them. I'm trying to remember the next time I saw them. Probably 78 in Chicago. And by then they were my band, right? And I tried, by that time, I'm trying to see them every single time. And just traveling around the Midwest, they went through this phase where they didn't play Indianapolis, I want to say on one of their tours, Indianapolis was the only city that didn't sell out. Uh, and so they didn't come back for like 20 years. Uh, and so you had to travel to, to get them. Most of the time I've seen them most often in Chicago, because that's, uh, that's a three and a half hour drive from here. And that's pretty easy to go do.
2: So I'm going to get back to music in a minute, but for now no one grows up saying i want to manage a call center that's what i do <laughs> i want to be a cio <laughs> yeah. that is not what little boys and little girls dream of how did you get into the it field
0: so i i seriously wanted to be a rock star and Uh, All through high school, that's all I ever dreamed of doing. And when push came to shove, I had to go to college. It was a rule from my parents. I had to go. So I went to Indiana State to major in music, theory, and composition. And I had this very rude awakening that you actually had to have talent (laughs) to major in theory and composition. And I did not. Uh, So I had no idea what I was going to do. And much to the dismay of my parents, I dropped out. A couple of years later, this, uh, this new thing came out on the market, the Commodore 64, a computer that cost, I don't know, probably three or $400 at the time. And so I bought one and oh my God, I fell in love. I fell in love with writing code. Um, and it became my instrument because I could make that thing do anything I wanted it to do. And I became a voracious reader of technology textbooks, systems development life cycle, database theory and design, and uh, really taught myself and learned from those around me how to code and eventually moved into I was working at a bank at the time and moved into the information systems department at the bank and worked my way up to become a programmer. And the rest they say is history. So I
2: I love that story because I had I was in high school and I had scored on one of the PSATs or ACT, some of the tests, I had scored really high on math. And my high school math teacher, who was one of those teachers you adore, said, what you are to do is instead of going for a math degree, you should do computing science, <laughs> because that'll be a little more fun than math. Uh-huh. And that's what I signed up for. And but I I was a lousy typist. And back then you had to do the cards.
0: Oh absolutely
2: yeah and, and i have never been a patient guy and to type try to type that note those cards run it get the errors and i ended up like i i barely passed fortran and decided mm-hmm. no and i well, just a couple years later there was a little more where it was on the screen and i often think if i had Waited a little bit later. That might have been a little bit easier for me. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, yeah, that was, it it was a very, it was a, I could see how, and I love that idea that Commodore became your instrument. Yeah. Your way of of being creative and exploring different things. That's very cool. Do you still play guitar? Uh, I do a little bit, mostly
0: yeah. with my grandson, Jordan. He wants to learn how to play. So he and I have been dinking around, and I bought him a junior size guitar that he can play with. But I, I, I haven't really played in a long time. Mm-hmm. Still love music, but uh, just really put that part of it aside. Okay. Uh, it's funny we're having this conversation today because I I am just wrapping up a blog post that I'm writing for my blog on basically a conversation that I would have had with my 17 year old self. Uh Uh, And uh, that conversation would start with son, put down that guitar, pick up the keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I didn't have anybody like like you that uh, talked to you about going into computer science. Uh, it took me a long time to make that route to to get there, but it was still a pretty successful career, just the same.
2: Jeff, what's what I would tell my 17 year old self is my dad played the guitar all the time. And I never had the patience to try to learn it. Ah and my dad was not someone who would force something on mm-hmm. and in uh, both of my parents Brad did not graduate from high school they got GEDs so education wasn't important in our house it was um and so i would tell my 17 self one discover bruce springsteen faster yeah, and you go. two you know. learn how to play the guitar learn yeah, yeah. Pick yeah. your dad's. Not that it would have been a career, but just I'm now 63, and people tell me, Jesse, it's not too late. Just take the time. Yeah. And I go, I'm podcasting. I'm yeah. I've got my. Day it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing to me
0: the number of people that are in technology related fields that have some sort of creative outlet. Yes. And. I have this good friend, uh, Glenn Keller. He he talks about STEAM instead of STEM. He inserts the A for the arts uh, yeah. in there. And uh, people have this impression that technology is not a creative field. And it is. It's incredibly creative.
2: Yeah, I do think so. And I think that the it, one of the things that... I've managed tech support teams. I've managed customer service teams. I, because of that, I've been able to do fairly well on most technology and it's kept going. And it is finding that outlet to keep you in going. Did you, I want to go back to one you said a little bit when we started that the Rolling Stones opened a door for you on American blues and other Mm -hmm. music. Let's talk about that a little bit. Tell me a little bit of that journey, Jeff.
0: I got to say that I would, I'm trying to think back to that time and um, it was probably... Muddy Waters was my first step in into that world because of the influence that he had on the Rolling Stones. I'm, oh my goodness, he, they got their name from one of, one of his songs, right? And I had the opportunity to see Muddy Waters in, uh, gosh, I forget what year he passed away, but I saw him like the year before he died here in Indianapolis. Um, and it was just incredible to listen to him and that growly voice that he had. And from there, I started exploring others. Memphis Slim and John Johnny John Lee Hooker. Even got into some of the modern guys, right? Steve, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Johnny Lang, Kenny Wayne Shepard, more of the modern blues. And what I started finding was almost this genealogy of blues, right? It woven through a lot of the music that that we grew up on. Uh, Eric Clapton was influenced by the blues. The Beatles were influenced somewhat by the blues, but they took their song, their music. In a slightly different direction than some of them the who and all of these were folks were listening to the same kind of music that was coming out of the mississippi delta or chicago blues right sun records in or not sun uh chess records in uh, chicago huge blues place and uh I lived for a year in Chicago in about, I guess it was 77, 78 timeframe, when I'm just rediscovering the Rolling Stones for one of the multiple times before they were my band. And you you read in the paper that they showed up at Muddy Waters uh, Bar and played at the Checkerboard Lounge. And it's just incredible this to be able to unravel some of the roots that they had at that time. I'm also discovering the doors and the blues that the doors would play again, based on that, on that what 12 bar progression blues, that just was the foundation of so much.
2: Any stories from shows that you want to share that you've seen?
0: <laughs> Let's see. Probably none that I No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, I
2: understand that. Oh, yeah.
0: My, my, I tell you, my favorite Stones show I've been to thus thus far was Fourth of July at the at at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the home of the Indy Five Hundred. They were the first band to play a concert there. It was I'm drawing a blank on the year. I've got the shirt on. I should just yes. take a look. 2015. Uh, it was July 4th, 2015. And what I loved about that show is that I took my wife, obviously, but I also took my two sons and a couple of the friends of theirs. So that next generation, and we listened to the stones all the way through traffic to get into the motor speedway. And then all during the, uh, the, The pre-concert activities, waiting for it to start. And then I was lucky enough that a good friend of mine was actually the chief information officer for the motor speedway. And so when tickets went on sale, um, I bought them, but I got great tickets. So we were down front. And in fact, my wristbands, the two wristbands for my wife and I are number one and number two.
2: Nice.
0: And so we were down in the gold section, which was like right by the stage. And it it was funny because during that show, Keith actually falls. He trips and falls on the runway that they had and If I say I was bent down refilling my drink at the time, I missed his fall. Everybody was talking about it, and I I never saw it. And I was right there almost in the front row. That was a great show. I've seen him with uh, my cousin and his wife in Chicago. Probably the funniest and almost creepy type thing was I had two tickets to go to the show one time in Chicago. And the person that was supposed to go with me couldn't go, so I showed up at Soldier Field with just with two tickets, but just myself. So I sold one of them to this guy, and uh, it was a very chilly night in October there on Lake Michigan. And uh, this guy that I sold the ticket to kept trying to get closer to get warm. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's Uh, a great
0: story. Yeah, it was. I had to move a little bit, but that's uh, a great story. That's a great story. Lots of fun times.
2: You know, one of the things that I do a pop culture podcast with my buddies that we just will take a topic. And several months ago, we talked how many actual great front men are there in rock and roll and we mm-hmm. had a debate like would you call Bruce Springsteen a front man and we're like yes but not really like he's, yeah. he a Tom Petty yeah you immediately think of Keith yep. Mick you think yep. of Mick and Freddie Mercury right like this oh this, yeah yeah just this charismatic owning the stage and it is. I, I little Stephen has been very vocal in over the past few years that that if he had to do it all over again, he would not have. He, in fact, he tells musicians, "Don't break up the band. Don't officially disband. Go do whatever you want to do." do your solo records, do your projects, but keep that. And then you can always come back. He said, because there's something about that. It is amazing that this many years later, they're still rolling.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. 60 years for the Stones, right? Yeah, And they went through their period where where Mick and Keith weren't talking to each other in the mid eighties and, they were releasing their solo albums that the songs were about each other yeah. somewhat been the Paul and John genre of doing that and i tell you one of the coolest the coolest concert that i went to was i think it was the steel wheels was when they came back right the it was their first time touring the us in forever i'm pretty sure i have the tour right steel wheels but i can remember so well the opening of that cuz i was sitting there in chicago watching it and they did the chicago bulls thing where they've got that thing that flies around the city and mm-hmm. and then it explodes in the united states only this time it explodes in in a soldier field and there's this huge fireball on stage And there's Keith playing the opening riff and he's all, he's all by himself before Mick even comes out to the stage. And it was, I think that was the transition to, this was Keith's band, right? Before that, it was kind of Mick. Mm -hmm. Mick was the man. And I think this was, was Keith's moment. And it was just so cool. He had on, I want to say it was like a leopard skin jacket kind of thing and he had sunglasses on and it was just boom and it was just an awesome moment
2: talk about losing charlie
0: that was hard charlie is the heart and soul i think that holds for a lot of drummers in the bands right they're behind the scenes for the most part but they're the lifeblood, and when we start first started hearing about Charlie sick, they're going to go on tour without him. Um, we we that we actually skipped that tour because uh, Charlie died, and it's like, no, we we just can't. Yeah, uh, can't now. Rumor has it they're coming back again, and we will go see them this time. I think Steve Jordan is a, a great drummer and a great fill in for Charlie, but. No one will ever replace that uh, that jazz backbeat that he has on the drums. And it's just so simple. And I tell you, my favorite, I think my favorite thing from Charlie Watts, I don't know if you saw it, during the pandemic, they did that telethon to, to raise money, and the Stones appeared, and they did an acoustic version of you can't always get what you want. And Charlie played air drums. Because he didn't have his kit at home. And so they'd cut to him in his apartment, or his house, rather, and he's playing the air drums. And I just thought that was such a beautiful moment to have him do that. He will be missed forever.
2: The, the local sports station I've listened to here shared the story that went everywhere about him going to a party after being woke up and telling Mick, I'm not your drummer. <laughs> you're my singer.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah I, yeah. I have heard that. I've heard that story both and I believe it. I totally I do believe it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing yeah. that it is so good. Um, So any experiences with Bruce? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's so I saw Bruce a couple of times
0: born in the USA tour here in in Indianapolis I saw him in one other tour always with the E street band to to me that was the Bruce that I love sure. uh, with the E Street band. Oh my God and when Clarence passed away, that was that was like Charlie right He was the heart and soul of of so much of the
2: band I, th- I think I think th- they caught a break. Losing Danny was tough, the organist, Mm -hmm. and and it was tough, but Clarence was such a big part, right? Like, like I agree, Max is the backbone that brings it every night. But, and I think you got a little lucky with Clarence having a nephew
1: that was so
2: talented and so charismatic and i think that kind of made us us fans embrace him yeah that he did well, Clarence
0: that. is there in spirit right yes. because it's his yes. nephew
2: right and, it yeah. is and uh, so
0: I, I don't know if, you, if you're probably aware of this is as, as yeah. big a fan of Bruce that you are that he's actually on the latest live album the stones released yes Ger. he does he does tumbling dice so um,
2: he he tells the story in his autobiography that he was invited to the stones were going to play somewhere in New York and they asked him to come on stage with him. And so he went the couple of days before day before, I don't remember the exact, but they were in a very plain nondescript Almost garage, like mm-hmm. just a studio, and they rehearsed over and over again. And Bruce tells the story that growing up, he wanted to be Keith, he wanted yeah. to be Mick, he wanted yeah. to be that. And yeah. that he said it was all great. The next night was exciting being in front of everyone, but really, the true joy. Was just being in that that room rehearsing with them. Yeah. 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 And uh, my other favorite story about that, switching over to the Beatles, Bruce tells the story that the Grammys were going to do a tribute to Paul McCartney and uh, John Landau, his manager calls him and says, hey, the Grammys are asking if you want to come out and give tribute to Paul and Bruce, he's a Beatle, right? He's still a beetle, right? <laughs> we don't say no to helping out with a beetle. Yeah. <laughs> That's, right. That's, right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Tough. I think it is in there is just that the joy that we don't know how many more times we're going to get to see these guys perform.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go as often as you can and Yes. As you you were talking about that, that Bruce going to that rehearsal, it reminded me of how I got really involved in the with the Rolling Stones to begin with. I, I mentioned I was a faces fan. Yeah. It was Ronnie Wood. Yeah. And in 75, I'm remembering now why I went to that show because I saw Ronnie Wood with the faces in 75. He was touring with both bands and flying around the country. And so I saw Ronnie Wood with the faces and then later saw him with the Rolling Stones yeah. in the same summer. And that was really what really got me there. And you opened this whole thing up, Jesse, with it's only rock and roll, but I like it. That's a, that's credited to Ronnie. Uh, yeah, you know, the At least the inspiration for the song and to hear Ronnie tell it, he wrote the song we're not gonna
2: argue yes there is a little bit of that my other musical obsession are the beach boys and there Ah, is that mike love brian wilson Uh, there is the it is i love that i love that let's talk a little bit tell me about your podcast That's Uh, boring compared to rock and roll, but well, it's a fun
0: podcast. So it's a, so status go is a weekly podcast for technology professionals that want to break out of the status quo, hence the play on words. Okay. Uh, And we sometimes talk tech, but most of the time we're talking leadership. Some of the things like soft skills that we used to call them soft skills. And now, are more essential skills leadership business acumen and uh, so wide variety of topics um uh, uh, i've got an episode coming out a week from today i interviewed chat gpt uh, mm-hmm. on the podcast which nice. was uh, which was interesting to to go through just so we've done We're just over 200 episodes, been doing it about four years. We drop a new episode every Monday and just have a a great time. And this being a podcast host, Jesse, is so much fun talking with so many interesting people and we're in the catbird seat, right? We're the ones that gets to ask the questions that the audience would love to ask if they were there.
2: Yeah.
0: And so To have that front row seat so to speak to some of the greatest minds in technology and related fields has just been it's been a sheer joy for me to do
2: what is i'll be both positive and negative what is something that you find most leaders do correctly and what is one thing that you think they could do better
0: Leaders, what they do correctly versus what they could do better. And then,
2: yeah, like both. Like I didn't want to just say.
0: That's a great question. I'm thinking back to some of the people that I worked for in in my career, and there's a lot of them that could do things better. I I think a lot of leaders now, technology leaders now, are understanding that it's not about the tech. It's about what the tech can do for the business. Uh, That's not been always the case going back in time. Sometimes uh, it was more about the tech. But I think that's something that a lot of leaders do very well now. I think where leaders still struggle is in communicating their vision. Their vision has to be a part of and in support of the vision that the business has overall um, but so many times I talk to IT professionals that really have no idea, they know what they're doing, but they have no idea how it applies to the vision of the organization and what the organization is doing. And I think as leaders, we could do a better job uh, talking about that and telling that story, painting that picture, so to speak.
2: I Yeah, I think said so, Jeff, I know as a contact center leader, you know, the idea that working with my agents and making sure they understand the, of what we're trying to accomplish and being open to, it is a balance. We talk about work-life balance a lot, but it's often talk about, let's make sure you have a good home life. And I always have to go, yes, but you also have to worry about your work family and are you there for them and finding that combination. Yes, absolutely.
1: Um,
2: I often – I also talk about that if the – it's a nice news, bells, and whistles, but is it going to make my life easier? Is it going to make my Mm -hmm. team more efficient, have them less headaches – that's what the win is and that's the discussion so yeah i agree with yeah. that absolutely yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. the name of the podcast again that is go oh, good i love that and i will include a link on the show oh awesome um, thank you so much thank you so jeff what haven't i asked you that i should have
0: oh man gosh We've talked so much about the Stones, and uh, I think uh, the way that their music has woven itself through my kids, right, and yeah. and ultimately their kids. My uh, my nine year old grandson. This was he was probably gosh, maybe five, maybe four. He walks into uh, my office, and of course, there's a Rolling Stones tongue. And so he's doing the, ah, with the tongue out. And he still does that today, four or five years later with me. It's a connection that we have. And I think that's the beauty of music. I, I wrote a blog post several years ago called The Soundtrack of Our Lives. And what I didn't realize was the impact that music was having on my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the impact that what my parents listened to. And they don't really have, a, I don't really have a recollection of what they listen to uh, that much. My sons absolutely know what we listen to. They fell in love with what we now call classic rock. They've gone on their own, right? And they're into hip hop And uh, I've got, one of my sons is into heavy metal. And so they've gotten their own musical identity, but their roots are founded in driving around in the car, listening to the Rolling Stones. And uh, to me, that's a beautiful thing, right?
2: That is a very beautiful thing. Any songs you're chasing? Any songs that you want to hear live that you haven't got to hear? Oh.
0: I always look at the set list of what's coming, what they're going to be playing. And I, there's a few favorites that it's, yeah. Oh my God, they just have to play them. One that I, I'm trying to think, I'm sure I've heard this live. I'm, I should, but dead flowers to me is such a cool. fied rock song. That I enjoy that. Let it bleed is another great song that uh just echoes throughout the arenas i tell you more than anything rather than a specific song i'd love to see him in a small venue yeah i would just love that and we just as ordinary joes we don't have the opportunity to do that but that would be really really cool to see him in an intimate setting
2: that does sound really cool good This has been a blast. I've enjoyed it so much. But before I let you go, I end every podcast with the Mary question. So if you are a listener of Jeff's podcast and you're checking him out, talking a little bit different, Jay Armstrong is a recently retired honors English teacher. And when he was teaching, he would take Bruce Springsteen's song, Thunder Road, would break apart he would give the lyrics to his students they would they would study it and treat it as if it was a poem talking about the imagery bruce is using the choice of lyrics the words compared to robert frost the road not taken mm-hmm. and then at the end of the two days he would ask the question does mary get in the car so jeff that is your question does mary get in the car at the end of thunder road
0: i think absolutely mary gets in the car I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that whole idea of of dissecting the songs in that way. I used to do that with a lot of Jim Morrison's The Doors songs, right? Because his poetry was so so unique. And you're going to inspire me to go back and reread some of the lyrics from Bruce now. Mary gets in the car.
2: Very nice. It is. I've told this story multiple times. What when he was on the podcast the first time, and he was wrapping up, and he was said, "Oh, and by the way, I teach this when I we go over it." And I went, "What do you mean? Of course she gets in the car. Why are you even asking the question?" (laughs) And he ended up coming back and doing a mini version of what he teaches his class, going over that, that it's a choice and it's a, and it is scary to make choices. It is safer to not make a choice. And I reached out to him and I said, do you care if I use this? He goes, I don't care. So that's why I always give him credit uh, and I end every podcast with it. And it's just it is always a fun thing to go to give people and thank you for you. I oh, love absolutely. when people. So, so smile. you interviewed
0: him. On, you talked about that dissection on your podcast. Yes, I'm
2: going to yeah. have to go back and listen. Yeah, to that I will episode. send you a link, and then I will, yeah, I will I would send love you that. a couple links. Then, after I've been doing this a couple of years, I put together a collection of people's answers, sent that to him and then he came on and talked about the people's answers. Oh, that's so I'll great. send you the three links. So it's Yeah, great.
0: that that would be great. I would love Good. that.
2: Good. Jeff, if someone wants to reach you, what's the best way?
0: I'm I'm huge on LinkedIn. I love the LinkedIn platform, okay. so I'm out there. I also have a website, jefferiesstun.com. I've written a couple books and you can find them there on my website as well as my blog that I've mentioned a couple of times, and of course, uh, Status Go, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, like like this one.
2: Very nice, Jeff. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me, and uh, this was great. I appreciate it. It's always fun to talk to another podcaster. I also like to give them a break where they get to, be, the, yeah. they get to answer the questions. So... Um. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Listeners, go check out his website. Go, if you're on LinkedIn, reach out to him, connect, check out the website, check out the podcast. For now, thank you for listening. I want you to go be kind, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. I want and need your feedback. You can reach me multiple ways to tell me what you like or don't like about the show. You can reach out to give me guest suggestions, or maybe to join me on the podcast yourself. We're on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, or at Jesse Jackson DFW. I have an Instagram, setlustingbruce, or Jesse Jackson DFW. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash setlustingbruce. Go to patreon.com slash setlustingbruce to find out how you can support the show. And we have several tiers of support. Please go to your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe. And tell a friend about the podcast because that is the way we're going to grow. If you're not tired of hearing me speak, you can hear me on Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, where Charles Skaggs and I talk all things Doctor Who. The How Many podcast where me and my friends Gary, Scott, Bob, and Junior talk pop culture, and finally, my newest podcast, The Last Best Hope for Conversation, a Babylon 5 podcast, where Karen, Lou, and I are going through the TV show Babylon 5 one episode at a time. I am always looking for guests, so please reach out to me, setlustingbruce at gmail.com.